Let me take a second to pray. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that we've come here today and we are just enjoying you. And we're enjoying this opportunity, Father, to just come before your presence and enjoy the living God. What an opportunity we have to come together with the saints and celebrate our God. What an opportunity it is to remind ourselves of what we have in Jesus. What an opportunity it is to be able to communicate the good news to those who may not be clear about who God is. And here we are before you, God, acknowledging that you are good. God, we just rest in your presence right now. Lord, we love you. We pray your blessing on this time. We pray for those that do not know you. We pray, God, that today would be the day that they make a clear decision for you. We ask this in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, let me, uh, my name is uh, James. I'm the pastor here, if you're new here today. Um, Let me make a few uh, announcements. I think the first thing that you probably did see that we do have a a new sound system. We're, we are working with it because it's new, but, um, but it's going to be able to enhance what we do so much. So we have um, two churches that actually helped us with this sound system. Uh, the first was Concord, First Baptist Concord. Can we give it up for First Baptist Concord? The other church was Shades Mountain. So give it up for Shades Mountain, Shades Mountain Baptist Church for doing that for us. So uh, we praise God for our new sound system. The other thing that I need to announce is um, we have an opportunity on Thanksgiving. I think I'm getting a little feedback. Uh, We have an opportunity on Thanksgiving uh, to be able to serve uh, with uh, chips. Uh, So on Thanksgiving Day, you'll be able to serve. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, All right, so we do have... We, we do have an opportunity to serve with chips uh, on Thanksgiving. And uh, we're, there's also another opportunity to serve in Fort Greene. Uh, so we are going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Okay. Um, we're starting a new series today. And I think it's so important that you learn what we're going to talk about in this series. Because if it has not affected you yet, At some point, it will. At some point, you are going to feel in your life that you're stuck. If you don't feel like you're stuck now. That you are not where you want to be. And I think it's so important for us to be able to grasp this moment. If you were um, in in a job interview, they would say, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And That's such a question about anticipation and hope and your preferred future, where you want to be. And if we were to ask that amongst the people here, we might get into a good conversation. But if I were to ask you a question and just flip it, are you where you thought you would be at this point in life? Has life met your expectations? Has God met your expectations? Has life with him taken you to the place you thought you would be? And it's amazing how 
Far too often in, 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 in the Christian world, we fill our worlds up with great testimonies and about how everybody had a breakthrough. But between the breakthroughs, there's the mundane. Between God doing explosive and powerful things, there are people struggling just to stay faithful. And unfortunately, we only hear about people's highlight reels. We don't hear about the dirty, dirty, the messy parts of our walk with God. At some point, you will find yourself in a set of circumstances that you never saw coming, and you'll be right in the middle of. And your response to that is pivotal. What this tends to lead to is a low-level disappointment where you can still come to church and smile and laugh, but there's something happens inside of you where you're just kind of meandering through, not running a race, but more like jogging and going through the motions. And if you're honest, you're saying to yourself, I thought things would be better than this. Financially, I thought I was just, I thought I'd just be at a different place by now. Physically, I thought I would be at a different place. Emotionally, I thought there were things I would get over by now. After all this time, I just thought I'd be at a different place. I thought I'd be better professionally. What I do, I, I thought friendships would stay together. I mean, I thought that, you know, I thought I was going to always be like that one moment in life where I had all these friends, but they, they, they didn't last. I thought marriage would be so much more fulfilling. I just, I, I, I saw all these people and read all the Christian books and it's not what I thought it was going to be. Or to make matters worse, I thought I'd be married by now. And it's frustrating because you look around and it looks like everybody's getting married. People that you're like, how did they get married? <laughs> and there's, no, if we're honest, there's certain people you're like, when Keisha got married, that's when I knew I need to learn how to pray. <laughs> and it's not like your expectations in God, it's not like they're wrong. Your expectations aren't bad. They're not rooted in anything evil. It's not like you, don't, you haven't become an atheist at this point, but, 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 but for many people, the results you thought are just smaller than what you thought. The, the, the kind of fruit that you thought you would see just isn't there. And as I said, you know breakthrough is possible, but there just seems to be a new normal. Things just aren't working the way you thought they would. Inside of you, there's this tension to do the things that you know you need not do, to run, to abandon your whole relationship with God, to give up, to quit, to drink, to go back to relationships you know you need not have, to fall into porn, to fall into addictions, to become jealous and resentful. And all the while, the deepest tension is just not to compare yourself to everybody else. I mean, it just seems like everybody else is having the life you thought you would have. 
whether it's relationships or job or health or opportunity, it just does not seem like it's what I imagine. The preferred future, the vision that you thought you saw, it's not what you had. And this place of despair feels like you're saying, I am going to be stuck here forever. And things just are not going to change. And at the center of that struggle, it's wondering, does God know and does God care? And you may be asking yourself, James, how do you know of this struggle? Do you know of it well? And I can tell you I do. Um, When I was 29 years old, I, I became a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I took over a church, church uh, that was about seven years old. And when I took over that church, I had dreams of being able to communicate and lead. And I had all these ideas of what I was going to be able to do and what I was going to be able to become. And I did not know that I was stepping into some of the hardest years of my life. I couldn't have known. And I, and I wouldn't have signed up for it. I would have quit on day one if I had known that it was going to be that hard. You don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, the, the first week I was there, I sat down and I began to discuss where people were at spiritually. And I was telling the staff this week, and sometimes I forget to share some of these things with you. Maybe I blocked it out. I don't know. But our piano player, they were like, she has some struggles. I was like, listen, God's grace can exceed all struggles. What, what is it? They're like, well, she's you know, she, she, she has a drug problem. I was like, okay, well, and, and we come to find out she's smoking crack. So now I'm like, oh, okay, that we in the real struggle. Like, okay. So I'm paying her every week to play the piano. But I know that that money is not just going to play the piano. So here's my mind. And so, so just like this moment now, I'm looking at the piano player and I'm like, I cannot believe I got to pay her after this service. Uh, several weeks go by. I'm struggling with it. I can't believe that this is happening. And the police call, and they call because she has rented some furniture from Rent-A-Center and did not pay them. So the police, because this was the, her only address that she put on there was her place of work, because she only worked one day a week, the police were going to come to church to arrest her. So I fired her. And you would have thought that I fired the Apostle Paul. There was so much argument and so much feedback, and everyone was mad at me. Everyone was frustrated with me, and I remember thinking, I, I didn't do anything bad. I just let go of some, and I didn't want to out her. I didn't want to tell people, no, she's, she's not, she's not, she's smoking crack. That's the problem, the real problem. Is that she smokes crack. <laughs> and I mean, not to say, listen, if that's your struggle, and I mean this in all sincerity, if that's your struggle, that's just not an upfront ministry. That's not, you don't need to be upfront. So, I, you know, I'm tripping. Week after week, there was something new. There was another problem people had with me, and I, and I just wanted to talk about God. And, and, and this is the thing, like, I understand that we all have doubts about God, but I will say for people that have to talk about God every week, I believe our doubts can be more intense. 
because I've got to talk about hoping in Jesus every week. People want me to break down the text, but my life is breaking down. I don't believe as much in this God I'm about to be passionately talking about. I'm struggling, and I don't see things changing. And after my third month at that church, it was Easter 2007. We had a packed house and all these people there, and I'm preaching, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be here. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, people wanted to talk to me after. And you know what I did? I went into my office, I closed the door, and people started knocking on the door to talk to me, and I hid under the desk. I hid under the desk and I cried. I was bawling. And I was like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be at this place anymore. I don't want to teach people anymore. I don't want to talk about a person. I don't feel the love for you. So let me just take time away. And I stayed at that church for five years. And I knew I wanted to leave after three months. So I know what it's like to be in despair and not feel like things are going to change. And as I preached every week in brokenness, preaching through my pain, I discovered that throughout the Old and the New Testament, there are people that God seemingly abandoned. It almost, it seemingly abandoned some of his favorite people. It seemed like he left them stuck in difficult circumstances. But I discovered something, and I want you to know what I discovered. That God's silence does not equate to his absence. And the very God that I proclaimed was carrying me each week. And you may not be in a season of life where you feel like you are stuck. But I want to tell you, you will be stuck one day. One day you will, you will have an expectation, whether you understand it now or not. And I want you to understand the unique blessing of trusting God when you feel stuck. If you have your Bible, turn in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look in verses 2 and 3. We are going to flip to Matthew 4 in a little bit here. Uh, Jesus uh, is somewhere in Galilee at this time. And he has just finished, uh, in chapter 10, he gave his disciples some specific instructions on how to do ministry. And after giving them those instructions, um, you know, they were going to be sent out. And he heads out. Jesus is heading out to do some more ministry. And John the Baptist, some of his disciples end up coming to him. And they have a question for him. And in Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3, the question reads like this. When John was in prison, heard about, uh, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds that's the key word right there, the deeds. He had heard about the deeds. He had heard about the Messiah doing some great things. He heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him, 
Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And what John was saying and what his disciples were really asking was, we've read about this Messiah that was going to come, and he was going to transform lives, and he was going to do all these great things. And John, in that moment, was stuck in a very tough situation. And he was wondering, would those deeds ever happen to him? <laughs> um, we have to understand the context here and know the backstory of why John was in prison. Uh, some of you may know it and some of you may not. Um, John was in prison because he was speaking out against the Roman Empire and he was calling out different leaders. I think we have a, uh, a slide. So now this, all the Bible geeks can get excited because we got some stuff up here. So look at the very top, the very top. Herod the Great, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was during the time of uh, the Christmas story, and Herod is taking out all the babies, right? Well, Herod had four children, four children. He had Aristobulus, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Philip, all right? Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias, right? Philip ends up marrying Herodias. So I don't want you to feel like that's normal. I don't want you to go, oh, that's what they did in New Testament times. That's his niece, and that's nasty. <laughs> Philip marries his niece. After Philip marries his niece, Herodias, Herodias is with Philip, and Philip leaves town. When he leaves town for several months, Herod Antipas ends up marrying Herodias, taking his wife slash niece to be his wife slash niece. So all this is going down in the kingdom. And everyone acts like it's normal. And John is like, that's not normal. You don't take someone else's wife, not to mention your niece. So he is the only one crying out against what's happening in the society, and he ends up going to prison because Herodias didn't like it. Herodias, you know, Herod, the scriptures say that Herod Antipas, when he would teach, Herod would be intrigued with this teaching, but Herodias wasn't intrigued. Herodias didn't like it. So Herodias ended up getting him thrown into prison. And so here now is John in prison for essentially just speaking the truth. He's done nothing wrong. And so John is in prison wondering, are, are you the one or, or should we look for another? And you have to understand also who John is in John 129. We don't have it up there. John is the one that said, behold, the lamb. He's the one that announces Jesus is coming. He's the one that's been the forerunner. In other words, he was Jesus' hype man in many ways, and he told people about Jesus. Jesus and, and John are actually related. From what we can tell, they're cousins. So they're, they're actually like family. 
So not only is he this great guy and he's done great things, but he has family. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus actually said this, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. From Jesus' own mouth, he says, there's not been a human being born outside of me. There's been no one born that's greater. He's not talking about Mary, not talking about his own mama or daddy. He's talking about John. He says, this is the greatest servant that there's ever been. Doesn't get better than this. So this should surprise you a little bit. That in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And in verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Now, Galilee, what he's talking about is the sea, essentially, of Galilee. And he's talking about Nazareth as well as Capernaum. Now, I think we have a... Uh, okay, well... Here we go. Follow me. Work with me. Work with me. All right. If you look up here, right, where, look down here to the right where it says Machaerus. Machaerus is actually where John is. Machaerus is the prison that he's been put in. So he's been placed in this desert. So there's no one around except John. In fact, at that time, if you wanted to eat, it was only because your friends came and gave you food. It wasn't, it wasn't like the system set up today. So he is in Machaerus. He is by the Dead Sea. That's where he's been sent. Jesus, if you look up there right in the middle, where that black dot, where it says Nazareth, that's where he is right now. It says in chapter 4, it says, when he heard this, he went to Capernaum. He hears that the person he said is the greatest of all time as of human beings, this is the greatest person, and this is my friend, and we're close. And the minute that he hears that he's in prison, he goes the opposite direction. And what did you think he was going to do? I know that I would assume that if you heard that I was in prison, I'd hope that you'd want to come visit me. But you're not God. You could get angels to bust me out of that prison. You could turn that situation around in a second. Why isn't Jesus swooping in and transforming this whole situation? And so John, the text tells us, John, or uh, basically uh, church history tells us, that John has been in the prison for a year and a half. And so after a year and a half, he's like, listen, y'all, y'all the only ones coming to visit me. And you know how people do. They're like, I thought you were related to Jesus. I thought Jesus was your Messiah. I thought that's the one you were announcing. Where is he? Look, y'all, y'all go down to Capernaum. And ask Jesus what's going on. Is he the one? Is he powerful? 
And this is what Jesus says in response. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, and Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Remember, they asked about the deed, so they kind of already knew this. The blind receive sight, he said. The lame walk, he says. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, he says. The deaf hear, he says. The dead are raised. All these people are seeing transformation. And I assume that they were waiting to hear him say, and the prisoners are set free. You do that too? Notice that in each of these situations, God blessed them with the very thing that would help identify that they had been transformed. Probably the very thing that they had been longing for. And so what he says is, you don't know, I'm the Messiah. Look, look at all these things transformed. All these things are changed. But there's a quiet caveat, a small little message that we must see. He says, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, come on, Bible scholars. Let's use reason and logic. The blind do what? See. The lame walk. The lepers are healed. So the poor should be, they should be rich. But that's not what he said. He said the poor, what they got was good news. And what he says next will be foundational for you. Jesus says something very strange. And remember, John is in this desert. He's in a dungeon. He's got no court date that he can tell. He can't tell if anything's ever going to change. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, he says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, the word stumble there literally means to get tripped up or offended by. And you think about when you stumble. Isn't it oftentimes because you lost focus on where you were going? But he's saying you, get, you stumble because of me. So it's as if someone is looking for Jesus to do something. He doesn't do it, and they trip up in their walk. And they're waiting, they're looking, they're like, okay, he's going to do it. No, he doesn't. And they, they trip up. But notice what he says. He didn't say cursed, he said blessed. You, if you can believe in the midst of seeing everyone else see transformation, there is a blessing in that. And so all the while, Every song is talking about your breakthrough. And the lepers are like, I have my breakthrough. Things are going. I'm getting married. Things are changing. I'm transformed. And nothing is changing for you. God says, you are blessed while you still believe. And you have faith anyway. And you trust anyway. And you believe anyway. And if he does not transform you next, the next day or the next year, you trust him anyhow. And he says, that is a blessing. And so we cannot subscribe to the idea that blessing is only in what we see temporally. Blessing has to be something deeper. But what is the good news? What is the good news that was proclaimed to them? 
The good news is that you and I have a standard that we tell other people to live by, and we don't even do that. We give advice we don't even keep. And if we were honest with ourselves, quietly we know we're inconsistent. And the Bible unashamedly calls that sin, that we are missing the mark. And if you're honest with yourself, you know you miss the mark more than you'd like to admit. That you have, you're, you're less of a man and you're less of a woman than you'd want to admit. And when we know that we don't keep our own standard, we get angry with ourselves. Imagine how God feels when we don't keep his standard. And what is the good news? The good news is that God, the creator God, poured out all his wrath on his son and we will not be recompensed for the things we've done in this life. The good news is that we have a Savior. And there were the poor, and there they were, seeing transformation. And the poor heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news had to be enough for them. And there is a blessing when the good news is enough. When trusting what God has done on the cross is enough. You say, well, that's a pretty good story, but I'm still struggling. Jesus has other stories like this. Uh, there was actually uh, some time later, Jesus and his, and his fellows at the very same spot where John was baptized, actually. Somebody comes running to him, and he says, in John eleven three, 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, the one you love is sick. Now, if you come to me and say, James, the one you love has been in a car accident. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. The one I love? I already know. They didn't even say his name. The one you love. Oh, my, one of my loved ones? Oh, I'm going to respond. And what he was talking about was Lazarus. And in John 11, verses 5 through 6, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Why aren't you coming right now? Why aren't you responding? And what's crazy is that Lazarus ends up dying and the whole family is upset. And why weren't you here? Why didn't you come? You have the ability to raise people from the dead. Why weren't you here when we needed you and everyone was frustrated and everyone was upset? And here we are taking the text and putting it into this world right now. Has God met your expectations? I mean, is this right now, are we in a moment where if you were honest, you're waiting for God to do something transformative that you're seeing in other people, and you're waiting, and you're not seeing him move, and you're praying, and you're seeking, and you're not seeing him respond? And you're reading texts like this, 
And you're wondering, well, you know, Lazarus did get risen from the dead. Ah, but John got beheaded. And so I, I understand that there is this part of me that always wants to put the flowery ending there. But the flowery ending is not always in this life. You see, the real ending happened 2,000 years ago. When Christ died for my sin, that was the moment that I knew my life would always end up being good. Not because good was happening around me, but that there was good news, good news that I'm already experiencing. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you see what the text is getting at? That when all news is bad, I still have good news. And my good news is that Christ died for my sin, and I am a sinner. I am a wretch. And when I am in my dungeon, and when you are in your dungeon, and when you are in Macarius, and he goes to Capernaum, and he moves in the opposite direction, I know you still love me. I know you still love me. And my love for you is not predicated on what you're doing right now. My love for you is based upon what you did to your son, your own son, where you poured out your wrath on him. Now, you know, the reason why this doesn't preach, the reason why this isn't really good news is because I honestly just don't think we've embraced how sinful we really are. Let's have an honest moment, can we? Do you remember that time? Do you remember that moment when um, you were sinning? And I mean, I don't mean you sinned like you fell into it. I mean you planned it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean sin was in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Sin was rolled up in your pocket. Sin, her name was Sin. And you were like, hey, Sin. Or his name was Sin. Or you and Sin had a date. And you just knew that it was going to be great. You and Sin. And Sin was on ice. And Sin was in your phone. And Sin was on your computer. And Sin was in your mind. Sin was in your mouth. You remember all that? I mean, and in that moment, in that moment, in that moment, at any point, did you say, God, I just want your presence close? Would you just, I just want to draw you near right now. Would you just, I want to feel you near me. No, you did not. You, the last person on your mind was God. You weren't thinking about him, but the crazy thing was he was thinking about you. That he loves us in spite of our sin. And when we kept him at arm's length, when we, when we staved him off, and we didn't want him to say, don't say nothing right now. I got stuff to do. Shh, shh, shh. I got a plan. I got some stuff. I got some stuff I got to do. He still loved us. But the crazy thing is that when we want him silent, it's okay. But when it seems like he's silent, we get mad. And we want to reject him as being a good God, knowing that he loved us in the very moments when we wanted sin to be so good. 
And so what we've said is an unanswered prayer doesn't mean we have an uninterested God. What it means is that in that moment, we have to dig deep down and remember what he's done for us. And I just wonder if that is real for you. I mean, we can't move past Christ and what he's done on the cross. We can't move past our sin. And in this moment, as I talk, some of you know how deep your sin runs. And there's been so many moments that you've asked God to stop and you still go. And there have been so many moments where you've tried to move beyond the fact that you are unrighteous in and of yourself. And my encouragement is not to move past that. Accept how unrighteous you are. And in the same moment, accept the righteousness of Christ. That he dies for your sin and you are no longer guilty. No longer guilty. No longer guilty. And you cannot see God based upon the good things you've done. The only way you are going to know God personally is by accepting Jesus as the one who rescues you from your sin. And this is the good news. And I fear, I fear for you if the only good news is when he changes your situation. Because if that's your good news, you are gonna have desperate, lonely, desolate days and you're gonna be in your desert cell and you're gonna send your disciples after him to say, are you really the one? And if truth be told, many atheists have become atheists because they just didn't see God do what they thought he could do. And if we're honest, some of us are functionally atheists. It's just hard to trust him. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a subject that happened to me. I'm talking about a subject that happens in the Christian life. You are stuck or will be stuck. And so this afternoon, what I want to invite you into is the good news. Because it's so good. And as I sat under that desk, and as I stayed there, 2007, 2008, 2009, my wife, I'll never forget that, my wife, she's like, why is everybody having babies except us? And for seven years, we had tried and tried and tried. Why is everybody having babies? And I looked around at my church, and I never saw it grow. We've seen 18 baptisms in our first year at this church. I didn't see that many in, in five years at the church. Why am I seeing transformation? Why are churches blowing up and mine is still so small? Why can't I have kids? Why is everybody seeing transformation and not me? Not me? Why are the blind seeing? I feel my sight is hazy. Why isn't this happening for me? And I discovered that something has already happened for me. And somehow, the good news becomes boring. Somehow, our, our 
our Savior dying for us. It just doesn't do it for our heart anymore. We've got to have more. Some of us are stuck. I just want you to know that the good news I proclaim to you is available. I believe that for us, today is a day where we have to stop playing games. And we have to make a decision to follow. And for some of us, maybe you made that decision at one point, but you just need to make that decision again. That I want to follow again. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I expect that some of you today need to respond. But you need to respond with faith and trust in this one that I'm speaking. Would you pray with me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would just touch the hearts of those who are listening to this message. And as we're in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you just open up the hearts of those who need to respond to you? If today you are not sure that you are following Jesus, asking if you're coming to church. If you're not sure you are following Jesus, I ask that you just lift up your hand. That you would lift up your hand and you would admit today, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. That you would admit today that you need Jesus and you want to make a decision for Christ. And for those of you that lift up your hands, we'll have somebody come and talk to you about the decision you're making. But I ask that you would lift it high. Lift your hand high. Lift your hand high. That you would make that decision for Christ today. That the good news would be real to you today. Oh, Heavenly Father, for those that raise their hands, God, there is a celebration happening amongst the angels for those who make that decision for Christ. And so God, we asked as a church, we would come around those who, who are coming into relationship with you. But now God, some of us just need prayer. If we're honest, we just need to pray through this thing. That we, we're following, but we feel stuck. And we're seeing transformation, but we struggle with the good news. We struggle. So God, I pray that we could have a moment right now where those that, those that are right now at a place where they just feel like they need to be prayed over. They need to be prayed over so that they could trust you. God, I pray that they would come up to our side here, right over to my right. And as we have the worship team come, we have the worship team come. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray over those who feel that they believe in you and at the same time feel abandoned by you. They can't help but compare their situation and they are emotionally just at their end point. God, would you just give them the freedom to come be prayed over, to come and trust in another way? As we sing, I pray that we would deepen as a community and deepen our trust in you. In Jesus' name.